Hi, this is Sarah from Oklahoma. Dusted is a StoryWonk podcast. To show your support and for exclusive content, visit patreon.com slash StoryWonk. Thanks! And welcome to the show. I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. I'm Alistair Stevens, and this is Dusted, your Zombie Cops exclamation point Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> podcast. Yes. This week we're watching episode 14 of season two of Angel, The Thin Deadline. Which I'm obviously thinking of adapting into a musical, hence the exclamation point at the end of the title Zombie Cops! Zombie Cops! Exclamation point. <laughs> With jazz hands, obviously. This episode aired on February the 13th, 2001. Can you think of a better pre-Valentine's Day episode of Angel I than this one? I cannot, yes. It was written by Sean Ryan and Jim Koof. We last saw Sean Ryan in Reunion, which stands up pretty high on the big list at number six. This is the last of the three episodes that Jim Koof will write for Angel. We last saw him in The Shroud of Ramon, but he holds a place of honor in the top five Angel list with 5 by 5 at number 2. Which comes in at number 2. So I joint, like all those numbers there. Joint yes, number exactly. 2 for 5 by 5 with Sanctuary, of course. Yes. yes. Jim Koof, mm-hmm. who we have previously adored. It feels odd to me that there are two writers on mm-hmm. this script because it has the feel of either a solo writer script yes. or a script that was written by a committee of upwards of 20 people. <laughs> it's, it's one of those It has a things. little bit of both. It yeah, really it definitely does. does. This was directed by Scott McGinnis. This is his second and last episode for Angel. He directed season one's Room with a View, which was written by, you know, a dusted favorite, Jane Espenson. And say what you like about this episode. It's very well directed. It is well directed. There's a great sense of pace. Yeah. There's a great sense of timing. The action scenes work out very well. I think he gets good performances mm-hmm. from all of the actors. I think a solid entry on the resume there for Scott McGuinness. How would you like to begin our discussion of this episode of Angel? Because let's not beat around the bush. This is a really problematic one. This is a troubling episode in a lot of ways. I think the only way to do this is just go in. Just start with the beat by beat and move forward and have the discussion as we as we roll through this, this <laughs> swampy mire that is this episode of Angel. <laughs> we open on Angel returning to the Hyperion at night. He wanders to the front desk and pushes the papers off the desk in frustration. So mad at that desk. He's mad at that desk. So mad at that desk. Well, that desk gets a little snippy. That desk has a little attitude. <laughs> He's been alone for a long exactly. time at this point. <laughs> at Investigateurs, Inc., the Investigateurs are bored. There isn't enough evil stirring up trouble out there on the mean streets of L.A., and they still haven't picked a name for their agency. Luckily, Virginia has another rich friend in need of some help, a woman named Francine Sharp, whose daughter, Stephanie, has a third eye growing out of the back of her head. <laughs> Cordy, despite her experience with both weird and ugly, is completely squicked out. I will defend Cordelia on that. As we know, eye things <laughs> I are a particular, are you know, you. bete noir of mine. <laughs> and that's a really gross special effect. It is an incredibly gross, gross and special unnecessary. Effect. Taking yeah. both boxes there in this oh, absolutely. I mean, talk literally the hairy eyeball. That is just <laughs> that is just not good. Francine says something bit Stephanie on the way home from practice the day before, but when she woke up, the eye was there. Francine will pay them anything to fix it, and they feel Mostly confident that they'll be able to, you know, maybe get the job done. Let's basically draw a close to this plotline here. It's going to pop up in the episode, but we're not actually going to make any progress because all of this is foreshadowing 
for next week. Right. So in this actual episode, it has absolutely no narrative weight whatsoever. It seems like it's going to be the monster of the week, but aha, it is not. It is absolutely not. I don't hate this story. I don't hate what it does for our understanding of Los Angeles mm-hmm. in the Angelverse. But yes, it isn't really necessary to what we do in this episode. <laughs> yes. Meanwhile, outside on the aforementioned mean streets of Los Angeles, two teenagers are running from the shadow of a very slow-moving threat. And inside the East Hills Teen Center, Anne is trying to make sure they have enough blankets and sleeping bags for all the kids crashing there. There's a knock at the door. It's the two kids we just saw. The boy is named Kenny. He knows it's past curfew, but they want in. Anne tells them there's no room, but relents when she sees how obviously terrified they are. From the shadows, we see the slow-moving silhouette of a cop. Is the intent of the cold open, which we hereby conclude as we move into the credits, is the intent of the cold open to make us suspicious of Kenny and his friend? I don't know. I mean, I think we're supposed to feel like there's something chasing them, but the the shadow is... And we shoot the cop as though he's super ominous. Yeah. But he's also recognizably a cop. And I understand that that line was blurred back in 1991 with Terminator 2. Oh, sure. But this feels weirdly ambiguous even in this moment. It makes sense as we move through the episode. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure this is going to be a recurring beat. I'm not sure what the show wants us to think at this at point. At this point. Right, exactly. No, it is. It's it's a little bit strange. So from there, we move into the credits. And then to Merle's lair, our favorite stool pigeon slash demon is packing nervously. Angel shows up out of nowhere and asks him about Wolfram and Hart. Merle tells him about a meeting happening the next night with top-level brass and says that that ends his career as a demonic (laughs) informant. Angel wants to know what the rush is to get out of town. Merle says that it's people like Angel coming in, demanding information, never paying for the information. At least Wesley was nice about it. He asks about Wesley, purposely digging in about the friends Angel doesn't have anymore. I think this is... A great scene. Yeah, no, I, I actually, like it. I like the cold open too. Mm-hmm. I think it brings a real sense of menace. I'm going to be very positive about the first act of mm-hmm. this episode. I think it barely puts a foot wrong. This scene in particular, though, is very strong. And yeah. it's not a major spoiler to say that Merle is going to disappear for the rest of the season. And he too is foreshadowing something that is going to come up next week. It's yes. not relevant to the proceedings. We don't need it in this episode. But it does give a nice sense of the oncoming storm. It gives a nice sense of this brooding apocalypse just waiting. And I I like that. I guess. I like the scene. Mm. I like Merle. The fact that it plays absolutely no narrative function at all in the course of this episode makes it feel extraneous, pointless. Why are we wasting our time with this? We're talking about this over on the Buffy side of the fence, too. These shows are becoming more serialized. We're caring less about the episodic format. And we're feeling more confident about introducing things that will pay off later, and advancing plots very slowly in the background. I don't know what the first-time Angel viewer would make of this episode at all. I mean, where do you come in on the Angel, Wesley, and Gunn storyline? Where on earth do you come in on the Angel storyline? You sit down for the first time to watch a show called Angel. You understand from the closed captioning that that's the guy in the long black coat. (laughs) What do you make of this show? 
So, I, from this episode, I don't even know. But even when we have, you know, like big season long arcs that are going on, the things that happen in a particular episode should fit nicely with everything else that's happening in that episode. And here they feel very wedged in. Yeah, it doesn't bother me in this particular instance because I kind of read this as the inciting incident. And mm-hmm. it does act as a partial inciting incident for the rest of the episode. Angel goes to Merle for information about Wolfram and Hart. Merle gives him information about Wolfram and Hart. But also twists the knife about the investigateurs, which sends Angel off to watch them. Mm-hmm. And that leads us into the action of the story. What happens next is not the fault of the first act of this story. Yes, absolutely. At the teen center, Anne pulls Kenny aside for a chat. He's sporting a bruise on his face, and she wants to know why he came in last night. Kenny says a cop attacked them. Anne is worried, but Kenny doesn't know what she can do. It's not like she can, you know, call the cops. (laughs) She has someone else in mind, though. I like here the interesting tension between Anne and Kenny. And Mm -hmm. this is something that we're going to revisit a couple of times in the course of the episode. And I genuinely don't know if it's intentional. Yeah. I don't know if a point is being made. And I don't know... If I agree with the point that is being made, if indeed a point is being made. But Mm -hmm. there is a gulf here between Anne and Kenny. Anne has elevated herself. She's running the teen shelter Mm -hmm. and she is doing a lot of good. But elevating herself has removed her from the streets. She is now somewhat removed from the actual events that are happening in Los Angeles. And that process of removal, the concept of leadership, I find to be a very interesting one. We're going to touch on that again with Gunn later, Mm -hmm. and we're going to touch on that always and forever with Angel. Angel has removed himself entirely from his milieu, from his his community. Does that benefit him in that it connects him with the fight? Mm -hmm. Or does that harm him because it removes him still further from what's really happening and what really matters? I find that a really interesting thing. Did you notice that? Did you care about that? Does that strike you as in any way engaging? Um, You know, now that you're mentioning it, I think, yeah, I think that is a really interesting kind of thematic point that we do sort of revisit in a few different Mm -hmm. areas. I don't think it's really clearly expressed. um, No, I I think that's fair. Yeah, I didn't really get that from this scene, but I can see where you're going with Mm -hmm. that. I think it's kind of interesting. Surprising no one more than us, Anne steps into Investigateur's Inc. when we expected her to go find Angel, and she ends up getting a warm welcome from Gunn, of all people. I thought I that was very cool. I legitimately love this with my yeah. whole heart. There are a couple of beats in this episode where we really expand our sense of how broad and complex the Angelverse is, mm-hmm. and how much history it has. There is no reason that Gunn shouldn't recognize Anne. There is no reason that these two shouldn't have crossed paths yeah, in the past. Yeah, absolutely. It makes I sense. I love that mm-hmm. we play it like this. And it gives us a very smart narrative hook mm-hmm. for drawing Anne, a character we know, but of whom the investigators are ignorant, mm-hmm. into this week's plot. We don't have to have this awkward, I know Angel, and I thought that maybe you used to work with him, so yes. maybe you can help me. No, we just have a natural and mm-hmm. charming relationship I really like that. How does that work for you? Well, honestly, I mean, I think they are colleagues. Gunn was in a different circumstance, but he was taking in kids, too, and, you know, trying to give them leadership and all of that. So I think it makes complete sense that he and Anne would know each other. I also like the fact that we're sort of led to believe that Anne, of course, is going to turn to Angel, but she doesn't. She turns 
to gun. Yeah. And I really like Which that that's where that makes went. Makes a lot of sense because apart from the fact that this show is called Angel, yeah. there is no reason that Anne would turn to Angel. Well, yeah, except for that it's it's his show. Yeah. But it's really nice that she turns to gun and then they all have this, you know, moment of recognition where they're like, oh, well, I know Angel. And da, 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 da. So we go through that whole dance. Um, but I thought it was really, really nice. Yeah, I love it. So Gunn introduces her to Cordy and Wesley, and Anne tells him the story of the cops. Gunn isn't sure what to do. He typically hunts vampires. I love his line here. I love the delivery on this. It's cool. <laughs> they know what's what. And Cordy looks up and says, what? What? <laughs> Completely unnecessary. But here's the thing. We're going to really burn this episode later. Yeah. For now. I am thoroughly enjoying no, the thing I was too. At this, this is point, a great episode. Yes. This is well written. This is good timing. Mm-hmm. A great performance from Charisma Carpenter. Mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying it at this point. At, at, at this point. So Gunn decides to go with Anne to the shelter to make sure everyone's safe. Cordy mentions the case of the kid with a third eye and also mentions that they're currently working as Angel Investigations. And Anne puts the pieces together, telling them the Angel recently helped her out. Quote, helped her out. Unquote. Exactly. He gave me a bag full of money and blood. <laughs> Turned out to be more blood than money, weirdly. Also, yes. the IRS, as previously mentioned, is, is, is just is sniffing knocking around. down my door. Exactly. Yeah, it's been a weird month for me. <laughs> The investigators are interested, hoping that Angel has come around. But then Anne shares the rest of the story. It was all about Wolfram and Hart. Disappointed, the investigators go back to work and Anne and Gunn leave. Really great to see genuine hurt, particularly yeah. from Cordelia. Mm-hmm. And disappointment. I, like she yeah. in that moment, you could see that she was so happy at the idea that Angel had, you know, genuinely helped the helpless that maybe he was coming yeah. back around. And this is a big problem. When you split the cast of a series yeah. and you send them off in different directions it's very easy to succumb to the temptation of behaving as though each side of the story knows about the other side of the story so we have cordelia be worried about angel Mm -hmm. or be concerned about darla and drusilla or you know act as though she understands what angel has been going through instead she doesn't she's Mm -hmm. still just hurt that he abandoned them i really like that I thought it was really nice, too. Meanwhile, from the rooftops outside, Angel watches Anne and Gunn walk (laughs) off, then follows them to the teen center. Nice to see that the investigators have managed to secure premises on the noirest street (laughs) in Los Angeles. Well, it's a requirement. Well, it certainly is for this Mm -hmm. story, because this is the noirest story that Angel has done since season one. At the center, the kids tell Gunn stories about the bad cops, and Gunn accuses them of manipulating Anne. She's smart, but she's got a blind spot where the kids are concerned, and Gunn doesn't want them taking advantage. They insist they're telling the truth. They sure do. They do. not all of that dialogue is terribly well written, and I've got to tell you, this is the first crack Mm -hmm. in the episode for me. This is where it starts. I pretty thoroughly loved everything up to this point, but this is really where the texture of the show starts to change. I don't like guns sitting in judgment of these young people, these young people who have come from the streets, these young people who have come from a couple of streets away from where Gunn used to live. If nothing else, he should know these kids. You know, it has, it smacks of this, you know, that we don't believe people. We don't mm-hmm. believe victims when they tell us who's victimizing them. It, right. it, he's blaming the victim here. And I really didn't care for that. No. And there is a narrative value in that. There's a, uh, a certain kind of conflict mm-hmm. that that adds to the proceedings, which can be helpful and can be leveraged for strong stories. Right. But you can't break Gunn's character, or that's hyperbole, you can't stress Gunn's character the way that they're doing here. 
in order to manifest that conflict. Right. I feel like Gunn, were he talking to a kid who had lied to him before, mm-hmm. I could see well, that. But you I know? also don't buy the idea that Anne is some gullible schmuck. She's been yeah. doing this for a long time, no, apparently on her own. Yeah. I think she knows these kids at least as well as Gunn does. So, yeah, yeah there's something rings was- false about this scene, and it's that false note that is going to echo through the rest of the episode. And get louder as we go. (laughs) Outside, Angel walks away when he's stopped by a cop. The cop attacks and they fight while the cop reads Angel his Miranda rights. Angel knocks the cop down. He seems to be at the very least knocked out, if not dead, pleased with himself for killing an apparently human, if somewhat overzealous police officer. (laughs) Angel just starts to walk away casually and then the cop jumps up and continues the attack. Finally, Angel knocks the cop's head off, definitely killing him, except that the head has suddenly decomposed and is still speaking. So Zombie cops. Zombie cops. So, I mean, before we understand that he's, I mean, like we obviously know that this cop is supernatural. Here he is. He's fighting with Angel. Angel does not seem to understand that this cop is supernatural. The cop is just like, you know, beating up on him. Yeah. He seems real casual about what, like having knocked out or you know, possibly killed this cop. And when the cop gets back up and he kicks his head hard enough to take it clean off, that feels weird to me. Okay. In a sense, it is. In a sense, I understand where that impulse comes from. We have to establish very early and very emphatically that these are not police officers. Yes. This is still a network show that's airing in 2001. We have to establish that these are not run-of-the-mill cops. Mm-hmm. They are some kind of supernatural threat. Well, we have if to there do was that some, emphatically. Exactly. If there was some sense at some point during this fight scene that Angel understands well, this guy is, though, isn't human. Because these zombie cops are supernaturally strong. Mm-hmm. So Angel must have known that. He must have recognized the fact that this cop is is holding his own in a fight with a vampire, and it's, that's pretty serious business. Yeah. And I will say that the cop continuing to read Angel his Miranda rights <laughs> is genuinely creepy and unsettling. I it think it really is. works. For me, the wrong step in this scene is for Angel to turn his back and walk away. If he had yeah. just watched as the zombie cop got back to his feet, right. then I wouldn't have a problem with this scene. If we had been able to intuit that Angel had understood that something was wrong here... But David Boreanaz is so deep in his mm-hmm. angel don't care psychology yeah. right now that he's unable to give us what we need to get an emotional hook in the story. Yeah, I feel like this lands on the writers. I feel like you need to have oh, sure. a beat. No, sorry. Yes, yeah. you're absolutely right. When I said David Boreanaz, I mean performing, performing the part of angel part, that right. is written. Yes, it's absolutely in the script. It's not in the... In the performance, Because we se. need a beat. Yeah. Even where Angel looks at him and says, what the hell are you? Or yes. something like that. So that we know that Angel knows that this is not a human cop. Yes. You know, because human cops on like some kind of drugs or something could be pretty powerful, you, you know? take away right. him turning around and starting to walk away, believing, mm-hmm. as you say, that he has just casually killed a human being yes. and a law enforcement officer at that. Yeah. Take away that beat and have him instead look confused, look worried, prepare himself for, you know, the battle to continue, even though this guy is on the ground. Give us something, give us some indication that Angel knows what's up and didn't just casually kill a police officer. Right. That it was such a weird moment for me. And this was really, I mean, Gunn's thing before I was like, well, okay, that's the first crack. This is the first. This is where it really starts to fall apart. This is also the end of the first act. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, important as i said earlier i've really enjoyed everything up to now act one pretty solid yeah act two 
shaky but salvageable, mm-hmm. I think is where I come down. Act three, pretty emphatically disastrous. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I would let's say push so. on, shall we? Sure. Speaking of act two, let's open it up <laughs> at the teen center where a couple of kids named Rondell and George approach Gunn and Anne. They have a camcorder ready to catch the renegade cops on video, but not before they give Gunn a hard time about the fact that he hasn't written, hasn't called. Okay. This is interesting because this to me echoes the earlier scene with Anne. Gunn has removed himself yeah. from mm-hmm. his community. He has in a sense, elevated his position. You know, he's not sleeping rough. He's not hanging out with these desperate yeah. kids all day. He has a paying job. He mm-hmm. has friends. He's elevated himself in order to fight evil and make the world a better place, right. but has in so doing compromised himself somehow. I don't know. There seems to be some kind of argument being made here about authenticity. Mm-hmm. And right. I'm not sure that I understand it. I'm not sure that it's intentional. And I'm not sure that I like it. Yeah. But there does seem to be something here. Well, it does seem to be a repeating Um, note, you know. Generously, this could bring us all the way back to the first season of Angel and all the way back to the Jam of Amara. Yeah. Because one of the reasons that Angel doesn't want to walk around outside during the day, one of the reasons that he wants to stay true to his nature is so that he can be a voice for the people of the night. Mm -hmm. He can stay connected to that community, to that experience and fight from a position of informed power. Mm -hmm. So there is something in the DNA of Angel the Show that has that component embedded in it. There's something something about the noir elements of the show, something about something also about the heroic elements of the show, I think, that that speak to this. I'm just not sure if this episode is referencing that element directly and intentionally or is just kind of flailing toward it it doesn't feel intentional but it does seem a little weird to hit that note twice within like i don't know five minutes well and in a sense it doesn't matter if it's intentional death of the author applies here too death of the author can also make things better than the author thinks that they (laughs) are and if this was unintentional (laughs) Mm -hmm. but speaks indirectly to something very powerful about what angel is as a show and who angel is as a character as well as gun and Anne and the investigators i i like that i'll value that i'll take that for Well, right. I mean, can you save a community while being part of the community? It's one of the things that we've looked at in Buffy (laughs) about how being the hero necessarily separates her from her community. It's this recurring beat that Mm -hmm. seems to have have gained voice thanks to Hamilton. Yeah. You can't put a fire out from inside the house. Yeah. Sometimes inside the house is the only place you can put the fire out. Mm -hmm. Because if your toaster is on fire and you leave the house, (laughs) you kind of have to wait for your house to burn down before you can do anything about it. Before you can do anything with it, sure. So I'm not Mm -hmm. sure really how I feel about that. We'll pick it up again later in the episode. Gunn tells the kids to go, but they want to finish the job and help the neighborhood. Gunn tells them to record the cops harassing him and asks how he knows the cops will give him a hard time Gunn says he'll be walking while black, and that's all it takes. So this show aired in 2001. Mm -hmm. Rodney King happened in 1991. We are now in 2016, in case listeners happen to be listening to this from some far future date. (laughs) Probably while flying around on their jetpacks. Yes. This reads to me as authentically 2001. Mm -hmm. I actually really like the way that this line is handled. It's not played as a joke. Yeah, It's clearly serious, and Gunn clearly means it with some intent. Mm -hmm. But it's also not filled with foreboding. It's Mm -hmm. also not cynical in that way. In 2016, though, 15 years after this episode originally aired, 
God, it's really uncomfortable. It is incredibly Given uncomfortable. Everything that we've gone through in the last few months. Well, the last, I mean, obviously, fifteen years, everything we've been years, going through for the last yes. two hundred years but of the history of our country, particularly over the last six well, months or especially so, especially because of the element of video. Yeah. Um, the reason why we're having the discussions that we're having now about this kind of event is because we have video. And Rodney King, the reason why Rodney King became a discussion was because there was video of it. Yes. Um, so I think that that is kind of a, an eerie reflection that we have going on right and now. And we name check Rodney King later in we the episode, just in case Rodney that King. connection wasn't absolutely right. stark. And, you know, Walking Wild Black, I mean, that is a valid complaint to have that, yes. that many times people of color, you know, and this is something that we've, you know, we've come to, I think, recognize and honor more as a country recently because of all of the events that have been going mm -hmm. on, but it has been going on for such a long time. No, it absolutely so, yeah. has. And I don't begrudge this episode. It's right to talk meaningfully about this subject. I think mm -hmm. that there's a way of framing this story that is, thoughtful and progressive and interesting and mm -hmm. fully engaged with the subject matter yeah. and it's a fantasy show it's an urban fantasy so we can absolutely recast the police as zombie cops we sure. can do that and we can use the metaphor to reflect reality mm -hmm. that's something that buffy the vampire slayer has redefined by now by the time mm -hmm. we're in the second season of angel unfortunately i think that we lose our perspective on that conflict later mm -hmm. in the episode. Yes. But as of right now, I find this very difficult to watch, obviously because of recent events. Yeah. But I think it's well done. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be well done later. Before we get into this, because we're going to have to talk about a lot of these issues reflecting on this story, I will say that I feel very strongly that being in support of people who have been continually victimized and brutalized does not mean that you cannot also support police officers. Right. Um, I, I, there is no way that being, you know, uh, uh, the, the phrase now is pro-black, but it's like pro-anybody, pro-anybody who's victimized by yeah. like a very powerful force. And and to say that that, that doesn't also mean you can be pro-cop, those things are not mutually exclusive. We have a lot of these very uncomfortable resonances that are happening in this um, episode of television, this episode of Angel. And as we discuss it, I get offended on a couple of different levels. Um, but from I just a couple of different directions. It, from right? a couple yeah. of different directions. And I just want to make it incredibly clear that um, I personally, and I know Alistair feels the same way, extremely pro cop. I, I know. <laughs> I know police officers who are good people and who want things to change and they need the power and the support of our voice in order to make those mm -hmm. things change. It honestly is like a few bad people and it, it right. comes from the top. It comes from the culture. Whoever is the captain of these precincts, you know, that's where the problem comes down. And, and we need to empower the good police officers to change the culture from exactly within. Exactly right. At the same time, you know, at the risk of trivializing it with a hashtag, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives super matter, guys. Right. And I just can't, like, I can't express enough how strongly I feel about all of that. Okay. <laughs> and we... I think that because I feel so strongly about it, it colors my perception and my Absolutely. experience of this episode. Sure. And mine, too. Yeah. yeah. I think that we have to try to forcibly remove ourselves from 2016. Yes. And think about this in terms of not just 2001, but 2001 in the Angel verse. You know, Angel right. does what fantasy stories are supposed to do 
by creating a metaphor that allows us to explore this space, mm-hmm. we get to critique the underlying ideas and themes without getting bogged down in the minutia. Mm-hmm. The cops mm-hmm. in this episode of Angel are unequivocally evil. Yes. So we get to just take that. We get to just deal with that. They are supernatural. They are, you mm-hmm. know, unholy. They are unrighteous. Right. And they are led by a guy who is clearly on the wrong path. Mm-hmm. The show, though, doesn't always play fair with the metaphor that it has presented itself. Mm -hmm. Because we get the case being made later in the episode that, well, you know, the crime rate in this precinct really has fallen. Oh, my God. Since we started using zombie cops. I can't even. We'll deal with that when we get there. Um, The walking wall black line, I feel, is an appropriate sentiment to express. And obviously, this is something very real that people deal with on a regular basis. I like the fact that we acknowledged that, which is something that as a culture, we have not been very good at doing. would be naive and unrealistic to not represent that within the frame of this episode in particular, but also within the frame of Angel as a show, Mm -hmm. which has dealt with the question of black communities in Los Angeles in Mm -hmm. the late 1990s, early 2000s. I like it very much. I like it as written. I love it as performed. Yes. Well, Gunn, I mean, he's just, he's amazing. And I love the way that he does that. I gotta say, just to deviate from our discussion Mm -hmm. about this episode for a moment, I have always liked Gunn. Yeah. I have always appreciated J. August Richards Mm -hmm. as a performer. The more carefully I watch Angel, Mm -hmm. the more I respect what it is that he's doing. Yeah. He's fantastic. If you watch him very carefully in these scenes... Mm -hmm. He never gives the sense that his attention is wavering. Mm -hmm. He never gives the sense that he's waiting for a line. He's never anything but a completely authentic and genuine, and it would seem to me, generous performer. Mm -hmm. I think he's just great. He is. I really have always loved him, um, but I'm really appreciating him during this run through Angel. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing all the things that he can do. Speaking of Angel, he's over at the police station with Kate. (laughs) Who snarkily, of course, comments on Drew and Darla's adventures about town. So for those of you keeping track who were wondering maybe if Kate's actually changed at all. Nope, nope, nope. She has not. Anyway, (laughs) after she gets some shots in, he tells her about the talking cop head. He hands her the badge and she pulls up the information. The cop in question died six months ago. Angel suggests that they go for a ride. I I have a question at this point. Considering both Kate and Angel in Mm -hmm. this scene. And my question is this. Could you guys just for a second, not be the worst. (laughs) I get that I killed a cop is supposed to be a provocative line. I guess that it's supposed to be shocking both to Kate and to us. It comes off as so petulant, as so immature. Okay, callous and casual. Cops risk their lives every single day and to speak of it in this like casually provocative way to a police officer whose father died a police yes i mean it's the worst all of those things it is the most obnoxious line and there's no sense at all in which these two people who are nominally heroes lest we forget Mm -hmm. that these two people can put aside their crap for a second Mm -hmm. to deal with a real threat on the streets of los angeles this is actively harmful to Angel's character. Yeah. Yes. It's also actively harmful to Kate's character. Which can't and take I a didn't lot more. Think that Kate's character had any hit points left. I, I thought it was already done. But no, it yeah. turns out she can be worse. You can by actually sink lower. An angel mm-hmm. under these circumstances. And yeah. yeah, 
I feel worse about Angel, I suppose, because he starts it for whatever that's worth. Well, but yeah. it's a mm-hmm. really bad scene. No, it's terrible. And this is, I have never seen a clearer example of two characters who bring out the worst in each other yes. than these two. At Investigateurs, Inc., Cordy gets a call from Gunn detailing his plan to let the cops beat up on him. Wesley and Cordy are worried, but they decide to get back to their job. Gunn will call if he needs them. Meanwhile, there's a kid with a third eye who, oh, forget it. They're going to go save Gunn. I like the underlying concept Mm -hmm. here. It speaks to the idea of the found family, a concept Mm -hmm. of which I am rather fond. I like the acknowledgement between Wesley and Cordelia that... Of course, we've got guns back. That's yes. the most important thing. We mm-hmm. operate as a team. That really works for me. It does take a little while to get there. Mm-hmm. Mostly, I'm distracted by Cordelia's outfit. <laughs> Cordelia is wearing a really weirdly sexy outfit in the back half of this episode, mm-hmm. and I do not know why. <laughs> She's wearing the little black midriff-bearing mm-hmm. top with the bias-cut leather coat yeah. over the top of it. I mean... It's a great outfit. She looks good. It's Charisma Carpenter. Carpenter wears it beautifully. She can wear anything, yes. She looks mm-hmm. great, but it's also weirdly sexy for Angel, because I feel that we don't oftentimes sexualize Cordelia in exactly this way. I think we do a fair amount of time. How many times have we seen that back tattoo? I mean, we've seen it a fair bit. Right, but normally yeah. when she's she bending wears, over or yeah. in conflict or there's something mm-hmm. happening, we right. generally don't dress her up for the sake of dressing her up Mm -hmm. and in this episode the closer you get to the grime of the la streets Mm -hmm. the less appropriate it is for cordelia to be dressed like this cordelia to go to work dressed like that not to mention that her work very often involves you know like demon slime yeah so you would think that she would wear something that was a little bit you know and it wouldn't have bothered me if we had the Mm -hmm. usual escape hatch line where cordelia says uh, I was about to go to that party. Exactly. I have a date. Don't you understand? If we had <laughs> right. one throwaway line to justify mm-hmm. it, I would have been completely fine. But as it is. It's a, it's a little weird. Yeah. It are is we reading weird. this as an attempt to be sexy and attractive for Wesley? Because oh, I'm not her- reading it as a character beat at all. I'm reading it as some wonderful costume <laughs> designer got the opportunity to dress up Charisma Carpenter and is not missing a day. I mean, it is a great <laughs> It's coat. a great outfit. She looks yeah. amazing. If I was a costume designer, I don't know if I'd be able to resist that I'm urge not sure. either. Would you call that a coat? You know a lot more about you know women's clothing than I do. Is that a yeah, coat? Is that a jacket? It's, 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 is it a top? It's kind of a leather a shrug, sort of. Okay, cool. I don't know. It's, it's, a leather, it's a leather jacket. Yeah. Leather cardigan. Let's sure, go with it. <laughs> In the graveyard, where someone apparently just had a birthday party, judging by the helium balloons, Kate shows Angel the dead cop's grave. The cop was shot. Angel notices that the ground over the grave has been disturbed recently. He asks if there are other cops buried there. She says yes. He points out another recently disturbed grave, another cop. Angel says that someone is reanimating dead cops and putting them back on the street. Kate rushes to her father's grave and asks if the ground has been disturbed. Angel says no. Kate starts to cry and everything is really awkward because you want to feel bad for her. But, you know, she's Kate. (laughs) Yes. I watched this scene four times, maybe five times. Yeah. Trying to figure out if I didn't care because it's Kate Mm -hmm. or if I didn't care because there was something wrong with the scene. And I think it might be the former. Yeah. I really like the idea. Conceptually, no, I like the idea. it's a great idea. idea. And it's such a huge amount of vulnerability. But we have already ruined Kate to the point that she's just almost unusable as a character. I think so. And it it's really hard because I want desperately at this point 
in this season mm-hmm. for reasons which will become obvious within the next few episodes. I want desperately to care about Kate and to be connected to yeah. Kate, but I'm not. It's and too every late. time yeah. she shows up, she's the worst. She mm-hmm. sets a new low bar. I mean, okay, with a couple of exceptions, she sure. has had mm-hmm. high points. Mm-hmm. But right now, this, you can't set up a partnership mm-hmm. where they're both the snarky bleak one. Yeah, exactly. Because there's exactly. no emotional hook there for yeah. us to care. And suddenly having Kate pivot from a hard ass scully mm-hmm. to this <laughs> you know, emotional wreck. Yeah. And it's very difficult to watch this, of course, without thinking of sense and sensitivity, <laughs> thinking with the, the big retirement mm-hmm. speech for her father. It's, it's really difficult. It doesn't work for me. I'm not sure that that's, a reflection on this scene or even on this episode? I think it is. We have just done so much damage to Kate's character yeah. that she is. There we can't also, get her back. Yeah. I don't know if it's because she suddenly has the same wavy hair that Darla had a couple of episodes ago. Yes. There's this fashion going around for this weird, mm-hmm. very wavy, very bleached kind mm-hmm. of kind of sun-kissed hair. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of shots in this episode where she looks 100% like Kaylee Kuko from Big Bang Theory. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, that is a very similar look. Yeah. I'll see if I can find one for, for the show. All right. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> we'll see if we can 100%. put Kaylee on the cover or on the dusty right, artwork yeah. <laughs> and see if anybody notices. <laughs> Meanwhile, Cordy and Wesley show up at the teen center looking for Gunn. Anne tells them where he went, and Wesley runs off while Cordy stays to help Anne tend to kids overrunning the place. Such an unnecessary beat. I absolutely love the moment when Cordy recognizes the shirt that Angel donated to Anne it's a in nice the last little episode. Bit of continuity. I love that. There when we're go. talking mm-hmm. about Angel and Buffy as serialized shows, yeah. this is one of the things that I love most. This tiny interconnection yes. of, of detail from and one episode to the next. And where she doesn't know it was Angel who gave it to, you yeah. know, yes, it's it doesn't really impede nice. the episode. Mm-hmm. We don't need to have it explained to us, but because we're watching carefully and we remember, yeah. we get to enjoy this moment of a very strong characterization from Cordelia. No, it's, it's really like nicely it done. It was really yeah. good. Just as Anne is about to shut the door, a smooth-talking tough guy named Jackson pushes his way in, barreling past both Anne and Cordy's objections. Anne tells Cordy to let him in. She doesn't want any trouble. I don't like this beat for Anne. Coming on the heels of Gunn sidelining her and presenting her as somewhat gullible and naive to the kids in the teen Mm -hmm. shelter, this makes me feel as though Anne doesn't have a handle on what is happening here. This can't be the first time that a guy like Jackson has shown, has shown up. up. She should be able to this handle these Obviously isn't the first time people, that yeah. Jackson specifically mm-hmm, has shown up mm-hmm. and should be able to handle this. But because we want to, well, God, let's talk later about the purpose of Jackson in this story because I don't think it's good. It isn't good. It is, is very poorly served. But I think you're right that like Anne's character... Um, isn't really well served by the way that we present her because she's supposed to be in charge and everybody's supposed to respect her. But these kids come in after curfew and she lets them in. She objects all the time and then gets overrun. I didn't remember how this scene played out when Mm -hmm. it started, but seeing Anne face off against Jackson and then having Cordelia cross her arms and back Anne up and then fold immediately Mm -hmm. as Jackson pushes past her. Yeah, Yeah. I I, I have my problems with that scene. I didn't like it at all. Well, it's too bad that Anne doesn't want any trouble because Jackson soon finds what he's looking for, a kid named Ray. Ray did something. We don't know what just yet, and we're never going to find out, but he made Jackson unhappy, and making Jackson unhappy appears to be a good way to get dead. So now we've got another storyline here, I guess. No, no, no actually, we don't. Let me reassure this. you, we yeah. super don't mm-hmm. have another storyline with Jackson here. 
here's the thing with Jackson. There are two ways of reading his presence in the show. Mm -hmm. And the first is poorly implemented, but I think admirable. The second is really problematic, if that's the one that's true. On the one hand, it's possible that they were trying to introduce Jackson as a recurring character, Mm -hmm. that he was going to stick around. He was going to be, in a sense, the shadowy reflection of Gunn. He was Mm -hmm. going to be Gunn gone bad. And he would give us narrative potential for the street-level stories that Mm -hmm. Angel wants to tell over the course of the next season or two or three or four. The alternative to that is that Jackson is represented as a counterpoint to the police officers are terrible argument that the show seems to be very worried that it might inadvertently make. Mm -hmm. Because Jackson is the reason that urban black communities are riddled with crime. Mm Mm-hmm. And no, that's, he's the reason why the police are right for targeting black yeah. people, which I think is what they're trying to say a little bit later. And having guns say it makes it like even worse. It's just it's a really Jackson is a big problem in this story. He's a problem narratively because he doesn't yeah. serve a purpose. The only purpose he serves is to give gun a reason to say, well, this is why the cops pick on us. Um, yes. As though that's an excuse for racial profiling, which it is not. Um, so, yeah, it's this is a big problem for me. The whole Jackson thing is right, terrible. The actor, though, I have to say, <laughs> I like the actor. No, he's pretty charming. The actor charming. is really charming, and I like him he a lot. Works, which yeah. is one of the reasons that I think that he was intended to be a recurring character. Do you, because do you, have, I don't, do you know that he was intended, I or are you just don't. reading no, that I absolutely into don't. Okay. I went looking for it information nice about this actor. I went looking yeah. for information about this character. Mm-hmm. I can offer neither an affirmative or a negative yeah. in that sense. But here's the thing. If you were trying to make the case that Jackson was the problem, quote mm-hmm. unquote, I cannot put big enough air quotes around yeah. all this. If you're trying to make the case that Jackson is the problem with urban black communities and that's why the cops are right, mm-hmm. then you wouldn't necessarily have cast a guy this naturally charming and likable i think if you're trying to demonize this character Mm -hmm. you would have just gone the whole distance yeah you would have cast someone more demonstrably villainous more menacing and less charming exactly whereas this guy does have a likable roguish quality the actor has a likable roguish quality more Mm -hmm. than the not the the character character is written yeah which Mm -hmm. makes me think that perhaps that's what we were trying to do and the fact that his story doesn't go anywhere isn't because he was dragged in to provide a thematic counterpoint, but rather because we're just not following through on all of our stories. I wow, would that like is to believe such that Jackson, a generous read of this whole situation. <laughs> well, I genuinely don't know. I genuinely yeah. don't know. Mm-hmm. Thing. It's possible to read Jackson as a foreshadowing of things to come in just the same way as the kid with the third eye in the back of her mm-hmm. head is foreshadowing. And Merle's, you know, prophecy yeah. of foreboding is is foreshadowing. If you read Jackson in that light, then he's just badly done. Yeah. If you read Jackson as a counterpoint to the argument that the Mm -hmm. cops are the problem, Mm -hmm. then it's pretty devastating to any hope you had for for a reasoned thesis from this episode. Yeah, it's it's got a big problem. But anyway, we'll... 
we'll just keep moving through and see what happens. <laughs> Outside on the streets, Gunn walks with George and Rondell. They argue about the relative safety of a gang neighborhood when finally they are approached by a cop. Gunn tries to talk to the cop calmly as George rolls the camera. The cop pulls out his baton and just as he's about to attack Gunn, Wesley comes around the corner asking the cop to wait. The cop doesn't wait. He shoots Wesley in the stomach and Wesley falls. Okay. On the one hand, mm-hmm. this is a genuinely shocking and powerful scene. Yes. We've talked about the power of guns, of firearms, of mm-hmm. modern weapons in the Buffyverse. And so far, that has actually extended to Angel yeah. pretty consistently. It is shocking to see anyone fire a gun. Mm-hmm. It is particularly shocking to see Wesley shot in the stomach, in a particularly stomach. painful yeah. and debilitating injury. The problem is, I am so angry with the scene by the time we get to that beat Mm -hmm. that I can't care. Yeah. Because first off, we have Gunn talking about gang territory. That's Mm -hmm. why the cops don't come here. Right. As though that was an excuse for the militarization of urban police departments. Yeah. That's really troublesome. Mm -hmm. And then, and I know that this is unintentional. I'm 100% certain that this is unintentional. But in this episode, of all episodes, trying to let a black guy off the hook by having his white friend run up and say, oh, no, no, it's okay. I know him. Exactly. I don't know. Again, I don't know if that's intentional. If that is intentional, that is some of the finest satire that I have ever seen from Angel. (laughs) I don't have the confidence Right. That it's intentional. Yeah. I think it's inadvertent. And it's horrifying. It's horrifying. And I know that the cop is evil. Zombie cops! Exclamation point. Zombie cops. Yes, exactly. But it doesn't excuse the optics of the situation. It doesn't excuse the way that this situation presents itself to the audience. This is not a fantasy scenario. Mm -hmm. This is not the metaphor. Yeah. It looks and feels like something that happens every day on the streets, not just of Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. but of every major city. We live in Syracuse and upstate New York. I don't even know where that is in the list of American (laughs) cities. If it breaks the top 100, I will be surprised. (laughs) And yet that happens here, too. Mm -hmm. This is a universal problem. And leveraging that universal problem, even in 2001, for dramatic intent, without properly framing it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it tough. It is so but again, incredibly difficult. I have to give the slightest possibility that it was intentional, that it was acerbic, that it An was intentional commentary on yes, rather than the only thing that saves a black man is a white friend. No, but okay, <laughs> think about how the scene plays out. Yeah. Right? Gunn and his friends are in trouble. Mm-hmm. Wesley shows up, says, no, no, I know them. He's well-intentioned, sure. But I mean, that's an awful thing to have to say. Yeah. It's an awful thing to be called upon to say. It's an awful thing to believe that that might have any sway exactly. or weight with the police officer yeah. at all. But here's the thing. The police officer doesn't care because the police officer is not a police officer. Right. So he, he is shoots a zombie. Wesley, yes. which is doubly shocking mm-hmm. because all of our experience of contemporary crime drama yeah. leads us to believe that Wesley's intervention will actually protect God, that it will actually work, right. which is disgusting in and of itself. Exactly. So the fact that it subverts our expectations in that regard yes. means that if this is satire, it is powerful and effective satire, right? I think the fact that you can't tell it's satire uh, <laughs> kills that argument that, of course, that it is both powerful is and effective. the problem. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I don't know. If you genuinely don't know, I have to say I didn't read it as satire at all. I think that you have an incredibly generous view of no, what's, here's the thing. what's I, happening here. I don't what think the it's intent generous. Is. I think that if you listen to my critiques of previous Angel episodes, <laughs> generosity is not something to which what? I am terribly oh, vulnerable. Yeah. I think that I genuinely don't know how to read it. And I yeah. don't know if this is just fumbled or if this really is poorly intended. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It feels to me like enough thought wasn't really given to it. No, enough thought was clearly not you given know? to it. You're absolutely right. To be absolutely clear here, I am not arguing whether or not this is a good episode or a terrible right. episode. <laughs> I am arguing whether this is a bad episode or a genuinely evil episode. You're trying to define wherein does its badness lie. Exactly is it right. over here or is it over here? Yes. But is it is it somewhere. Incompetence in <laughs> exactly. or is it in Intent. malice? Yeah, right. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, so I, I don't that. know at this point. I just don't. I don't know. Well, let's keep going and try to find out. <laughs> oh, please, let's continue yes. with it. <laughs> gun disarms the cop and a fight ensues. Rondell grabs the cop's gun just as the cop goes for a second gun and Rondell Rondale shoots. The cop falls. Gunn rushes to Wesley's side. George helps get Wesley up. And just as Rondell is appropriately freaking out over the dead cop he shot, the cop sits up. As the four men run off, the cop calls for backup. At the risk of repeating myself here about unintentional imagery, mm-hmm. Rondell shooting the cop and then panicking about having shot the cop. Oh, God. That is a moment that feels like it comes from a Spike Lee film. Mm-hmm. That is, in either sense of this episode, wildly and violently out of place. We're dealing with the metaphor here, Mm -hmm. except when we're not. And that's problematic. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable to me because I think that, you know, in, in our media, the image of the black man cop killer is part of an issue that we kind of deal with that brings out all of the really complicated things that we're dealing with today. Um, So seeing him, you know, even unintentionally, like not wanting to kill the cop, but wanting to stop the cop from killing them, that it's Mm. obviously self-defense. Oh, it's it's clearly But it is like, if you're going to have something like that, you have to follow it through. Like you have to work through the whole thing rather than using this just for the shock of the moment. No argument for following through on this. We shouldn't do it. In this kind of story, this is too powerful and too real and too mundane a symbol for us to employ. What I mean is that this is too big a moment for it to be only something that's included in an episode that is not about that thing. Yeah, well, and something that isn't actually true because Rondell did not shoot a police officer. He didn't. He He shot a zombie zombie. cop. Exactly. Exactly. So it's it's difficult and and stressful and it was just difficult to watch. And as a writer, you are obligated to pay very close attention to the images that you use, that you employ for your own narrative purpose. And Mm -hmm. this is unambiguously for me, one of the points at which this episode just goes off the rails. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Around the corner, they take Wesley into an alleyway where Gunn tries to stop the bleeding. Wesley tells them to call for an ambulance. Gunn gets out his phone and George instructs him to tell them no sirens. And that's just busy work, I think, at this point. Yeah, it does. It feels a little weird, you know? Um, At the police station in the teen center neighborhood, Angel and Kate ask some questions of the cop at the desk. He says that because of their new captain, crime has been way down lately. They ask about the captain if he's running things by the book. And it's bad. 
Yeah. I mean, it's just a bad scene. It is. It's just a bad scene. And again, the, we're just hopping back and forth between these yes. storylines without. And yeah. the G shucks approach to neighborhood policing in Los Angeles yeah. in 2001 mm-hmm. is wildly inappropriate and naive. Yeah. This hick cop mm-hmm. has no place in this story. But there's a version of this mm-hmm. that you could do that actually addresses the real life issues that you're evoking yeah. within this script. This is not it. This is this is wildly misjudged. Right. We're too. evoking all of this stuff and not yeah. handling any of it responsibly. Because yeah. gee Willikers, the captain just got everyone in line and now it's like a nice peaceful small town again. It oh boy. Sure is. Back in the alley, Wesley is fading fast as Gunn tries to help, but it doesn't look good. The ambulance finally arrives and Gunn sends Rondell and George back to the shelter, while Gunn goes with Wesley in the ambulance. Cops block the ambulance, and when the driver steps out, they shoot him. Gunn grabs the wheel and busts through a fence as the cops continue to shoot. It is amazing that Gunn can drive an ambulance and jump a shark (laughs) simultaneously. (laughs) This is not a story that Angel as a TV show can encompass. We just yeah. crossed that line. Yeah. When we were talking about all-out gun mm-hmm. warfare on the streets of Los Angeles, right. this is now no longer an episode of Angel. Mm-hmm. This has turned into something else, something profoundly weird. It has weird. gotten completely because here's the thing. out of control. We are going to hit the friendly reset button at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. We are going to kill the zombie cops. They are going to disappear from the narrative. And presumably peace is going to be restored, mm-hmm. or at least the pre-existing piece sure. is mm-hmm. going to be restored. Except, did no one see armed police officers go on a rampage through the streets of Los Angeles one dark night? Did no one see these cops shooting at an ambulance? Did no one see them besieging a teen shelter? Right. It's not as though this story isn't going to ripple out through this community. And there are no other police precincts surrounding this particular right. neighborhood that and can apparently, come in and check no out. no one works at this police precinct anymore. Otherwise, someone presumably would have noticed the zombie cops. <laughs> Possibly. They might just have. The thing is that this neighborhood is now in dire trouble, even yeah. at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. And we don't really address that with any sense of purpose. We really don't. I think it's kind of because we don't care. Uh, Gun stops the ambulance at the teen shelter, and the EMT appropriately asks what the hell he's doing. I guess because the cops are bad, so are the hospitals. I don't know. <laughs> and this drives me insane, because Gun is not stupid. This is an unbelievably stupid thing to go. You have an ambulance that will take you out of this neighborhood to a hospital in a safe place where there are no zombie cops. Why do you not go there? Because Gunn doesn't know that the zombie cops are limited to this precinct. If he shows up at a local hospital, if he shows up at another hospital in this ambulance, a lot of people are going to be asking a lot of questions, particularly with a gunshot wound in the right. back and of the ambulance. Right, and if he doesn't, I mean, Wesley's going to die. He needs to take Wesley to a hospital. Right, but if the choice is between we care for Wesley ourselves or we take Wesley to a hospital that is stuffed full of cops who may also be zombies for all we know, <laughs> the problem is, yeah, the narrative doesn't frame the choice as the smart one. Mm-hmm. If we give Gunn a line justifying his decision here yeah then we'd be okay but we're in such a hurry to get to the climax of the episode that we don't take the time to do that right and this poor emt guy like he's the one who has my full-on pity worst shift 
ever. I gotta tell you. Yeah. In the shelter, the EMT does his best for Wesley's, you know, mortal wound. Cordy steps in to help, and Gunn gives directions for everyone to huddle up and stay away from the windows. Then Gunn sees Jackson and is not pleased. <laughs> Jackson is happy to have a final showdown with the cops as he lifts his shirt to reveal his concealed weapon. Oh, and that's not a euphemism. It's actually a, a gun. Um, well, but, right. Only barely <laughs> contained by the band of his pants, <laughs> yes. I guess. No, very true. We then have a very uncomfortable discussion about how guys like Jackson give the cops good reason to harass black people. Gunn blames Jackson for the fact that Wesley got shot and Jackson doesn't care because, you know, Wesley's white. And just as Gunn and Jackson are about to throw down and interrupt saying there's no time for this nonsense. And you know what? She's really right. She's she's one hundred percent right. Right. Yes, Anne wins the rightest ever award. <laughs> Here's the thing, though: if Jackson is being introduced as an ongoing foil for Gun, this isn't actually a terrible way of doing it. It's okay. not a good way. Gun, our character, who is one of the smartest people that we yep. have. Him saying that the existence of any black criminal means that it's okay for cops to (laughs) harass black people? This is exactly the distinction that you need to be able to draw. If Gunn is saying people like you are the problem, then we're in a very different kind of show. If we're introducing Jackson as a foil, if Gunn is mad at Jackson specifically because Jackson is trouble, then I'm good with that. Or at least I'm less horrifyingly you uncomfortable don't think about that that one of the heroes of our show is saying that racial profiling is okay nope. because Jackson again, has a gun again if he's saying Jackson I know you you are trouble mm-hmm. then I have no problem with the racial profiling right. element of that if he is saying people like you gangbangers with guns are the problem then yes I have a super problem with that <laughs> I think I have a problem with it either way. I think I have a problem with it because what it does is it conflates. Not distinguishing between a good show and a bad show. Distinguishing between a bad show and a malevolent show. No, I see. I see the malevolence. I'm so angry at the show at this point that it pretty much doesn't matter what it does. It's going to piss me off. Absolutely can't offer a counterpoint to that. And when we have the hero of our show, like one of the smartest people that we have in the show saying things like this, I feel like it puts a rubber stamp on this idea. And the thing is that like the streets are dangerous and the problem is guns, not black people. The problem is like that. And honestly, like that is the thing that the fact that our streets are so unsafe for our police and then you mix that up with racial discrimination, we get the like absolute poisonous cocktail that we have right. in our culture right now. And obviously, in the real world, I agree with you 100%. That's right. not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there is for me a 10, a 15% chance that if Jackson was being introduced as a recurring character, if mm-hmm. he was being introduced as an active foil against Gunn, then Gunn presenting Jackson as his shadow self you are the problem i am the solution yeah i could see that at least springing from good intent i think yeah seeing jackson as a problem because obviously jackson is a problem but it's the gun that makes him the problem not his blackness and i feel like we collate no, the blackness no. with the gun and with the behavior potentially that make him right. a problem maybe i'm reading it if the wrong we're way. supposed to read jackson as an individual as a recurring character then i'm okay with it yeah if we're supposed to read jackson as a symbol of the problems with urban black culture, Mm -hmm. then I am super not okay with it. 
Yeah, I think I'm super I, not okay with no, it. No, and I definitely can't <laughs> offer a definitive counterpoint against that. Yeah. I'm just kind of creating the space where maybe it's only inadvertently awful. Maybe there awful is a way. No, I, not, I like that you can yeah. see that. I'm so angry at this point that I absolutely can't. But let's go ahead and just keep on moving <laughs> and see where we end up. So outside, the cops are waiting for more backup. Look, guys, zombie cops are tough, but they're really, really slow. Yeah, so but apparently they also drive slow. <laughs> yes, they do. Which I don't think these are zombie cars. <laughs> oh, Though, wait, let me just are. write that down. Screenplay no, that's idea. a brilliant idea. Zombie cars. Zombie cars. Point. Exactly. <laughs> Inside, the EMT says they really super need to get to a hospital or Wesley is completely going to die. Gunn says they can't, but Cordy says they must. And it seems to me like that would have been the reasonable choice, you know, in the first place. Cordy looks outside, but cop cars have surrounded the ambulance. So now they really can't leave. And wow, we just do all those scenes again. Let's just do that. We've got to get Wesley to the hospital. We can't get Wesley to the hospital. Well, the cops aren't here. Oh, the cops are here. (laughs) Well, okay. You must pay the rent. I can't pay the rent. You must pay the rent. Yes. Um, No, we're just going to run around that mulberry bush a couple more times. Inside, the kids barricade against the zombie cops at the police station. Angel steps into the captain's office. He casually looks at the captain's things, then confronts him about, you know, zombie cops. The captain pulls a gun and shoots Angel, and then Angel vamps out and beats holy hell out of him, wanting to know how to stop the cops. I don't hate this version of Angel. Mm Mm-hmm. Angel has found himself weirdly mired in a noir story <laughs> and, and found himself to be an unwilling noir hero, which, spoilers, is the best kind of noir hero. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The noir hero is not about saving himself or even necessarily about saving the world. The noir hero fights to save the innocence of those who have not yet been corrupted. Mm-hmm. In this case, the investigators. Yes. And there's actually a really solid noir structure to the angel side of this this climax if you forget the you know really profoundly uncomfortable racial stuff in this episode Mm -hmm. if you forget the zombie cop side of the story and you Mm -hmm. just treat this guy as someone who is employing dark supernatural power for what is at least from his perspective social benefit Mm -hmm. then he's no different from the guy who wants to you know bulldoze the tenements and build a giant mall he's no different from the guy who wants to in the la version of the story i guess build the freeway system Mm -hmm. it's it's dark and it's corrupt and it springs from a dark impulse but it's also glittering and attractive and the noir hero has to stand in the shadows in order to fight it Mm -hmm. we've inadvertently stumbled into a really strong noir story in angel side of the climax well we've had a strong noir moment i'm not gonna say yes, the whole no, story that's is fair, good that's fair. We've, we've had a decent moment that wasn't a complete disaster we're feeling it as a victory <laughs> at the teen center the cops are climbing the walls while cordy tries to call i don't know i guess 911 the cops break through the windows one of them grabbing ann's leg cordy smashes him with a hammer now wouldn't a baseball bat have been nicer cordy has this tiny little hammer <laughs> that she beats at the zombie cop with. And I just feel like we couldn't have gotten her something that had like a little more visual heft to like make it look a little more badass. I don't know for sure, but I feel as though someone somewhere wanted to write the script line, Cordelia wields the ball peen hammer. (laughs) Yes, That's actually kind of a cool line. I'll let it go. I'll let it go for that line alone. 
Downstairs, Jackson tries to leave, and when a cop grabs him, Gunn rescues him. Back at the police station, in his secret altar room, which, you know, every police captain has, the captain rushes to his... I don't know, zombie hope chest, I guess is what it is. Angel wants to know how to stop the cops and finally finds a zombie idol. He smashes it against the captain's head. And let this be a lesson to you kids at home. If you want to perform dark zombie magic, perform it at your house rather than your place of business because then Angel can't get in without an invitation. There you go. Good thing the police station's still nominally a public building. Exactly. Zombie magic for dummies. That's right. (laughs) At the teen center, well, it's a lot of dead, green, decomposing cops and that's not at all a really disturbing optic. Mm. Anyway, Cordy and Gunn rush to Wesley's side and Gunn asks Jackson to help him get Wesley into the ambulance. Jackson refuses. Cordy helps Gunn and they carry Wesley to the ambulance. Yeah. So I'm left wondering. Yeah. Jackson, were we supposed to see you again? Was we there never a will, but for your existence yeah. here, other than to make us feel this like unbelievably actually, uncomfortable. Well, this is the beat that makes me think that we really were supposed to see him again. Mm-hmm. Because it's so unnecessarily jerky yeah. for him to refuse to help Wesley at this mm-hmm. point. I, I think that, that that's my read on it. At I least. don't know. I like that actor a lot. I would love to see mm-hmm. him in something else. <laughs> I would love sure. to see him in material that is worthy of his talents and his charm. Back at the police station, Angel reports into Kate. She hands him a file showing how the zombie cops terrorizing a neighborhood oh. really cut down on that crime rate and yep. seems to wonder whether or not they did a good thing. Yeah, there sure are going to be a lot of petty crimes now. That were terrorizing an entire community yeah because the crime rate went down again potentially ham-fisted potentially ignorant rather than evil but it's a really tough scene oh it is the most horrifying i've never been so angry while watching a tv show as i was in that moment particularly because angel still trapped in his you know bleaker Uh than bleak persona can't articulate the counter argument which is yes because freedom is messy and chaotic and also oh what's the word priceless because well because fascism is not the answer to crime hey there you, you go don't just There's go and a bumper kill sticker. everybody yes. if you kill everyone yes the crime rate goes down but that doesn't improve anything yes. um and you're also killing a lot of people and terrorizing a lot of people and that is a horrible 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 thing so and then we move right into this moment where kate looks at angel and says god this job makes me crazy and in that moment, out of context with, like, the fact that she was just Advocating a zombie cop program for the entirety of Los Angeles. Hitler, yes. yes. Um, <laughs> the fact that she was, you know, But in that moment, I kind of think, well, you know, I could have liked the Kate who was, like, you know, just upset right. that this community Which, was being terrorized. again, leads me back to incompetence rather than malice. Oh, I God. don't think that this show has, has evil in its heart. I think it's trying to articulate to Kate or for Kate on Kate's behalf. It's trying to articulate the argument that we've had with Angel before. You're not going to win. Yeah. You can't save everyone. Right. So why do we fight? Right. Exactly. And I think that and that could have been this an interesting moment, thing to do. We with have it. It's there. It's just completely occluded by this terrible, you're right, fascist strategy to take back the streets of Los exactly. Angeles. Exactly. It's so sad when we lose our fascism yes. and people suddenly have freedom again. Yes. It just is terrible. Uh, luckily, someone comes in, hands her another file, informing her of Wesley's shooting, and that gives us a lovely moment to break away oh, from oh, Kate. Oh, oh, and brace yourselves, because this episode is just about to get really good again. Yes. No, it is. It, it is. is. We're not even joking about yeah. that. At the hospital, Gunn sits by Wesley's side as Wesley wakes up in 
and sings the praises of narcotic painkillers. <laughs> the two men bond while outside Angel watches from the hallway. Just as he's about to turn and leave, he bumps into Cordy. She asks him what he's doing there and lays into him for abandoning them. She tells him that they don't need him anymore and asks him to go away. Angel watches through the window as Cordy and Gunn tend to Wesley, and then he walks away as we fade to black. Because now Cordelia has made the necessary choice. Yes. I love this last no, sequence. This is great. Gunn and Wesley. Gunn, when fantastic. he's sitting next to Wesley's bed, the way that he looks at Wesley, you could see that brotherhood there. It's yes. this wonderful, warm, masculine relationship, and which Cordy is beautifully speaking realized. Speaking up in defense of Wesley yes. without having to actually speak up in defense of Wesley. Mm -hmm. I love how confident and emotionally sophisticated the end of this episode is mm -hmm. i can't believe that we salvaged this out of the wreckage before it and all of this the first act which i in general really like yes and then this last two minute scene yes this really does reassure me that the rest of the episode is well-intentioned and poorly executed rather than being proof of some very troubling politics Yes. No, there are lots of troubling things in this episode, mm -hmm. not the least of which is that as we fade to black somewhere in Los Angeles, a little girl with a third eye in the back of her head is crying herself to sleep because literally nobody cares. <laughs> we'll pick up on that <laughs> next week. Yes. Minor spoilers. If you're a big fan of third eye girl, <laughs> she'll be back next week. <laughs> we, will, we will resolve that. We will close that third eye. We will. Finally, next week. So I think we've covered most of the salient points as we broke down the episode. All that remains is to trying to make some kind of final judgment let's look at the big list of every angel episode ever and let's you know just scroll down just start sure. scrolling yep keep scrolling keep sc okay stop now we're at the bottom okay, okay lonnie let me ask you where you would put this episode on the big list of every angel ever and i think i might already know the answer you might already know yeah bottom 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 of the list number 33 only because i can't go lower that is where i want this episode to be there are bright spots. Okay. Yes. I love the last two minutes. The first act is not terrible, but everything in the middle is such a hot mess. It's a hot mess narratively. I know we're going to revisit Third Eye Girl, you know, which sounds like a really good band name. Um, so go <laughs> ahead and claim that. I know that we're going to revisit the Wolfram and Hart meeting that Merle yeah. was talking about. I know that stuff is going to happen, but this stuff was wedged into this episode so inelegantly. There's just, it doesn't feel like it belongs here. It feels like we're throwing yeah. these random things in. Okay. Jackson, we're never going to see again. We're never going to deal with him okay. again. He's but... introduced in this way that is just this weird, extraneous limb on this already monstrous okay. narrative. If you didn't already hate this episode, yes. I don't think that you would be making those specific criticisms because Third Eye Girl does actually work as a complicating factor in Wesley and Cordelia's side of their narrative. She's the paying gig. Gunn is the non-paying gig. We have some conflict there, which I actually rather like. Similarly, the Wolfram and Hart storyline is actually the inciting incident for Angel to go and visit the investigators and thereby get caught up in that story. Well, no. The inciting incident for him to go look at the investigators is the fact that he walks out in the opening scene, the opening uh, shot, and sees all the papers, sees where they were, and is frustrated and sad about it. We've He's already connected He's not seeing their him. papers. He's seeing his papers. They haven't been in the Hyperion for weeks. I what papers did they leave left behind? Them there. I don't know. No. In order for Angel to come back around, to, to pay attention to the investigators and to 
apparently... Do you think we need Merle to do that? No, I don't think we need Merle, but I think that Merle is the mm-hmm. plot device that gets us there. Yeah. I think that if we had loved the rest of the episode, we wouldn't be worried about these dangling plot threads I that are going to be picked up next week. I think those scenes and would still feel awkwardly wedged perhaps, in, even in a good episode. Perhaps. And you don't know that we're never going to see Jackson again, that we're never going to deal with Jackson again. We I've have been to judge IMDb, him. I know. We have to judge him on the strength of this episode, because if the intent is to bring him back, yes, they never bring him back. But we don't know what they were trying to do okay, in this episode. Even if they were bringing him back in this episode, his um, narrative, his role is completely no, stupid. Which is it's completely not fine. Yeah. And if that's your criticism of the episode, then that's your criticism of the episode. Yeah. That you can't criticize it for, well, we never even see him again. Well, okay, but, you know, fair enough. <laughs> the question for me is not... It's still bad in this episode. Is this a good episode? Is this a bad episode? This is clearly a very bad episode. Mm-hmm. You're right. A lot of it is incoherent. Even if you give it the most charitable interpretation, it doesn't fundamentally work. The zombie cop idea is just not a strong one. And the way that we try to apply that idea as a you know classic Buffy urban fantasy metaphor mm-hmm. to the problems of racial diversity and racial profiling in Los Angeles is heavy-handed does not begin to cover how unwieldy and inelegant the application of that metaphor yeah, is. Yeah. So the question is not, is the thin deadline secret genius? No, it is not secret genius. For me, though, I can't, in good conscience, put it at the bottom of the list. How can you in good conscience put it anywhere else? Because I just don't know. There are questions in my mind about the underlying intent. And the underlying intent, death of the author, Mm -hmm. shouldn't really matter about my interpretation of the episode. But my interpretation of the episode is so ambiguous Mm -hmm. that I genuinely don't know what to make of it. Well, the very fact that they couldn't get enough clarity scraped together for you to be able to, like, make a solid assertion about it. Which is why I'm not talking about even the middle of the list. (laughs) But if Jackson was supposed to be a recurring character, if the racial elements of the story were at least well-intentioned, if we tried to do something thoughtful and sophisticated about this story then isn't that better than sense and sensitivity which may i remind you had no redeeming characteristics whatsoever the fact that we can have a conversation about the thin deadline and wonder if it was in some ways not completely awful okay you're wondering i'm very secure in my opinion that it's very bad (laughs) i just want to make that clear i am wondering you are wondering i'm wondering if it's better than I fall to pieces. If it's better than Sense and Sensitivity, is it better than The Prodigal? Maybe. I don't think it goes any higher than that. I think it's unambiguously worse than The Bachelor Party. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're talking about a very fine distinction here. Where exactly at the bottom of the list does it belong? I think for me, it would go in above Sense and Sensitivity. I think, if nothing else, I would rather watch this episode again than watch Sense and Sensitivity. Wow. That's that's where I am. Because we get a whole act of really good stuff, and we get bits and pieces of good stuff after mm-hmm. that. And then we get what is a satisfying and long overdue conclusion to this episode. We actually arc Angel in this episode for the first time this season. Yes, he's undergone character changes, but we've never understood them. We've never seen them as being terribly well motivated. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, they've been magical whammy powder. <laughs> In this episode, Angel actually has an emotional arc. 
And I think that's worth something. I see the relationship between the investigators, and I genuinely like it. I see the relationship between Gunn and Anne, and I genuinely like it. I think Anne is a great character. I think she's a great addition to the Angel universe. There's stuff here, there's potential here, which I can't persuade you is really there. Because I don't know for sure. Because it's I just not see, there clearly. No, I just see the possibility space for it. Well, and I don't think the possibility that Jackson might come back is any better an argument for Jackson's no. inclusion in this than see, my knowledge that he doesn't come back acting against it. possibility mm-hmm. in this episode. I see potential in this episode that I do not see in Sense and Sensitivity or I Fall to Pieces. Mm-hmm. That's where I am. So I can't, in good conscience look at this episode and say, no, it definitely goes in <laughs> above sense and sensitivity. But my feeling is that that is where I would put it. When you look at the politics, though, when you look at what we're presented with, it kind of has to go at the very bottom of the list. Well, I but think here's so. the difference. I don't put it at the bottom of the list with anger and malice. I put it at the bottom of the list with disappointment and a wish for better things. Oh, well, that's really nice. <laughs> I put it at the bottom of the list with anger and malice, and I'm not afraid to express that. Um, I I cannot in good conscience put it anywhere but the bottom of the list. I appreciate that you are able to see the potential here for something that wasn't like, you know, horribly, like, poorly intentioned. Oh, okay. And you see the potential, too. I know that you do. You just don't think that that potential was realized. You don't think that it was intentional, and that's completely okay. Yeah. You're making that value judgment. You're making that interpretive judgment, and I think that is completely valid. I absolutely respect your opinion on that. I'm just not as certain about it as you are. Well, honey, I'll tell you what. that's the distinction right Let here. me give you a cup of my certainty, and let's just sink it down to the bottom no, of the no, list. No, no, I'm happy. <laughs> let's put it at the bottom of the list, but I am yeah. going to think about this episode. No, there is. I'm not going to say there isn't good stuff. Potential. Yeah. I love that final scene with Cordy and Wesley and Gunn and, and Angel. I love that. See, there's some good stuff at the beginning of the episode. that scene alone elevates it above sense and sensitivity for me, because there's nothing in sense and sensitivity that is that sophisticated or accomplished and yes we can talk about the racial politics of the thin deadline all day and into the night let's talk about the gender politics of sense and sensitivity Mm -hmm. let's talk about the way in which that episode is actively mocking women is actively mocking emotional connection and empathy Mm -hmm. it's gross and it's unambiguously gross Oh, well, In now you're reminding that... me how much I hate sense and sensitivity. <laughs> well, that's where I am with now it. Now you're going to give I me think... an emotional conflict here. In a sense, no, I still the thin think deadline this is, worse. is more gross, is more problematic if you take the most negative interpretation. Mm-hmm. But I think there's enough, enough space there for speculation and interpretation that it arguably goes higher yeah. in Sense and Sensitivity. I don't know. But I if think we're putting it, it last, we should we're know better now. I think that at this point, Sense and Sensitivity was the sixth episode of the first season where in the first season you get wobbly episodes and that's kind of part of the growth process. At this point in season two, mm-hmm. we should be doing better than this. Well, and we should particularly be doing better than this when we're dealing with such a charged and obviously important issue. This was right. made 10 years after Rodney King. It's not as though there was anyone living or working in Los Angeles at the time, particularly not those who were telling stories about Los Angeles at the time, who were ignorant of that situation, of that conflict, of that dynamic. You need to do better. Mm -hmm. If you can't do better while addressing those subjects, then you need to not make this episode. Yeah, I think so. So, And even in 2001, 
you know, where our cultural understanding of these issues was maybe not quite as advanced as it is right now, mm -hmm. I still can't see making some of the choices that they've made to sort of justify police brutality. Well, this is what surprised me when I discovered there were only two writers attached, because yeah. it feels like either it's the work of a very naive but potentially well-intentioned young sure. writer uh -huh. who perhaps doesn't quite have the skill to manifest their ideas on screen, or it feels like this was written by committee. I would love to find out how many times this script was bounced to standards and practices yeah. before they were allowed to make it, because this doesn't feel like a pure version of anyone's vision. And I guess that's where we come to. I'm happy mm -hmm. to put it last on the list. I just don't put it on the list with anger. I put it on the list with <laughs> sadness. And that's not in any way to dispute yeah. your interpretation of mm -hmm. this episode. I absolutely see where you're coming from and I respect it entirely. We're just in very slightly different places. Right. Here. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm offended by this episode. It's, it's, it feels very personal to me because it's, it's bad on all sides of the issue. It is bad at dealing with the very real stresses and dangers that cops deal with. It's bad at handling the things that people of color deal with when they're dealing with a fraction of these cops who are allowed mm -hmm. and encouraged to, to behave sure. poorly. And, and from all there, of it makes me upset. <laughs> and you generalize out to questions of yeah. authority and privilege mm -hmm. and social standing and, and hierarchy. And there's so much that needs to be talked yeah. about with much, much, much greater sensitivity and understanding no, than we see in absolutely this episode. Fair. Yeah. So there it goes. Yeah. Last on the list. It's been a tough week here on Dusted. Oh, God, I know. <laughs> Luckily, this is specifically the point at which Angel begins to turn around. Yes, no, it does. We've got great things coming from Angel in the weeks ahead. I know, and I am very excited. That is it for today. There are going to be no Story Wonk episodes next week for our summer break, but we will be back on Monday, July 25th with our thoughts on episode 15 of season five of Buffy, I Was Made to Love You, in which a guy makes a love robot and... Well, I'm sorry, you said love robot when obviously what you meant was sex robot. Uh, we'll talk about that oh when we talk God. about that episode of <laughs> Buffy. And then on Thursday, July 28th, Angel's obsession with Wolfram and Hart takes him down a dark road in episode 15 of season two of Angel Reprise. Don't forget, you can join some of the funniest, smartest, and most delightful people on the internet on our forums at forum.storywonk.com. And let me just say that in the week after I was made to love you and reprise, we are going to be looking at a Buffy two-shot. We are going to be looking at The Body and Forever in one jumbo episode of Dusted. That's going to be the only episode that we put out that week, but it is going to be a long one and it is going to be emotionally very taxing yes. indeed. If you don't know what's coming in Buffy, then awesome to be you. Okay. I guess there are dark times ahead. We're going to talk about the body and forever together. Then we'll do two episodes of Angel. The following week, we're going to look at Epiphany and Disharmony. Yes. The following week, and then we'll be back on our regular mm -hmm. Buffy Angel rotation. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that. And remember that this podcast is brought to you free and ad-free by our generous patrons. To join this awesome group and become a patron of the arts, go to <laughs> patreon.com slash storywonk and pledge us a dollar a month or whatever you can afford. Until next time, I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. I'm Alistair Stevens. And this is Dusted. Grr.